Welcome to Upfront the Podcast. I'm Katie Hannan. The news that the number of students who are availing of exemptions from studying Irish in our schools has risen sharply in recent years has kicked off a fresh debate on that hoariest of old chestnuts, the question of whether Irish should be a compulsory subject in our schools. In our studio on Monday night, we heard some passionate contributions from both sides of that argument. I wonder, though, is it telling that it was a clip of a young man in our audience who asked why he should be forced to study Irish when he doesn't enjoy it that went viral? And I mean seriously viral. It's been viewed almost three million times and counting so far. And one of the many who did wade into that debate was Michael Fry. Michael is, of course, a wildly successful actor and comedian from Navin. Michael, you're very welcome to the Upfront podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. I should say Falcha, Falcha to upfront the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come, <laughs> Come on, Come on, Capra. You are not actually a Gaelgord, though, are you? No, I'm not a native speaker. No, no, no. I, uh, neither of my parents actually speak Irish. I learned it all in school and at the Gaeltacht. So uh, it is not something I was brought up with, but something I. Learned and uh, eventually grew to love, I think. Eventually being a key word there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, I think we all have weird feelings about Irish because it's like this subject in school and people talk about like the way it's taught and things like that. Uh, I think th- the minute that it switched for me was realising that it does serve quite a nice function in that you can have full conversations with people in it and you can do so outside of a setting uh, that dictates that you have to be perfect all the time um, so I'm kind of like you know it's also kind of knowing your history and understanding your identity and understanding that other countries don't have what we have some of them don't have their own language anymore or some regions don't have their own language anymore so it's kind of like yeah, I'm 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 all for it. I think it's an interesting thing and it's it's cool to say that I'm bilingual in at least one sense, you know. And are you actually do you consider yourself bilingual? I mean, did you have a big journey? What did you get in your leaving cert Irish, Michael? I got a B1 in my leaving cert Irish. Um, in honours Irish. In honours Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so you were pretty good in school then. You weren't like coming out with you know, a smattering of Irish. No, no, no. I Yeah, I had good Irish the whole way through. I went to the Gaelic twice. So I did the very strict one, Colossian Avene, where you're not allowed to speak English at all. Uh, and that really helped my fluency or whatever. But I'm also just, I'm good at languages. I did languages at university. I did French and Spanish. Uh, so it's something that it's, it came naturally enough to me. Uh, so I understand that that is kind of a privilege in a sense. Uh, along with going to the Gaelic, because that's expensive, you know, so... Um. So, do you have the same personality in Irish as you do in English? Uh, I would say so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a different way of communicating, but I'm still the same person, I would say. Because I do think that's one of the issues, though, for people is that because they're maybe not confident, um, they might have the kind of vocabulary you learn in school, but not the kind of vocabulary you learn chatting to people, that they don't feel like they can joke or you know be themselves Oscar yeah I think there's this perception of native Irish speakers that they're snobby and that they're going to give out to you if you don't get things correct uh, some of them do some of them do but I mean we're also so do Parisians 
Do you know what I mean? I mean, look, loads of us learn French and then go to countries that speak French and then realize that native speakers of French don't want to speak to us in French. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's um, it's it's not a just an Irish speaker thing, and I think it's quite rare among Irish speakers to be very honest with you. The ones I've had interactions with, the ones that are my age and all that kind of stuff, are just normal people, and they're not going to give out to you for not knowing how to construct a sentence in the same way that you or I wouldn't give out to somebody who's learning English for getting something wrong. You know, um, I'm sure lots of us have worked with uh, Polish people or anyone else who's come over to this country uh, whose first language is in English. And we would never dream of being like, oh, who do you think you are? You know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, I do. Want, uh, there, There is language we use around this language, if I can put it that way, that you wouldn't use around people speaking English because we, you know, you do hear. Uh, Irish speakers saying, oh, what a beauty. He's got a beautiful blast. Oh, I love listening to so and so. They're great. There is a judgment around how you speak it in a way that we actually wouldn't dare say about how people speak English because it might refer to, you know, there might be class issues or other kind of issues around that. But in Irish, you're still, there is still a, every time you speak, you kind of feel like there is somebody going to be kind of rating you somehow along the way. Yeah, I think that just comes from from learning it at school and understanding that like, uh when you spoke Irish at school, you had to be absolutely correct or you lost marks in your exams, you know. So I think there is a lot of hangover from that. Uh, I maybe wouldn't pay attention to it if somebody in real life were to do that to me because it wouldn't happen in any other context, you know. But also it hasn't happened. So I don't know. I can't really speak to that experience. You obviously have a beautiful blast. I don't know if I do. <laughs> I think I, I, I'm not even sure what dialect of Irish I speak, to be very honest with you. I think it's a mix of three of them. So I don't know. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that actually. What, what do they do in Navan? It's not Kerry. Is it Kerry Irish? No, it's not. Uh, I, I think Irish. it's mostly Connemara Irish. Because uh, when you go on to say Changlin or any of those uh, kind of Irish dictionaries that, that show you the pronunciations, the one that matches closest to mine would be the, the Connacht one, I think. But it depends on who your teacher is. But a lot, I think mine came from. Uh, I did have a Donegal speaker, and I'm not even sure where my junior certain one came from. But yeah. Um, Connacht Irish, I think. I think it's my. It, it, I do speak Irish in my own accent, which probably sounds weird, but I mean, I don't care. <laughs> so, okay. So the debate we were having on Monday night uh, on Upfront was whether or not we should keep Irish as a compulsory subject in our schools. And I mean, I'm. We had Brenda Power, the barrister. <clears throat> she very cogently argued that it's a failed experiment. And she would be a big supporter of Irish, she said. She loved Irish, loved hearing people speak Irish. But that after whatever many years now we've had it uh, since the foundation of the state as a compulsory language, we cannot, you know, the majority of people leave school without any fluency in Irish. Has she got a point that it is a failed experiment? I mean, we need to go back to the drawing board here. No, I don't think so. I think more of us speak Irish than we did before. Uh, definitely, because more of us are getting educated to higher levels than we have before. We have more teachers than we have had before. Um, I no, I don't think so. I think it's it's an experiment is quite a horrible way to refer to it as well. Um, I I no, I don't think so. I think it it belongs in our education system because where else would we find it? 
you know maybe okay you can have arguments about the way it's taught and how people speak it now and whether people speak it after school and things like that but i still firmly believe if you're irish you live in ireland you should learn about the irish language because it contains so much more information about our heritage our culture all those different things uh so experiment I, I i find that kind of a bit derogatory to be very honest I kind of uh i'm not sure where she's going with that i think to be fair to her the point she was making was that we thought this would save the language we thought this would bring you know this would would keep the language alive and that that hasn't proven to be successful yeah, but it's because we're doing that in isolation. So the only the only place you encounter Irish is in school. When I left school, there was very few places you would encounter Irish other than on road signs or the occasional announcement on the Lewis, you know. Uh, there's very few opportunities for adults unless you properly seek them out to learn Irish. Uh, I availed of free Irish classes. I went to Trinity and they were giving them away to, to students and staff and that was great. And I was like, fantastic, great. I'm going to learn that again. I think if you give people the opportunity they do take it up. But it's also like support for Gaelic theories and things like that. That's been eroded over the years uh, and, and and other things like that. So it's it's not just, I think it's one arm of how we bring languages in and, and support them. Uh, if we want to look at the other way, how, to, how you kill a language. So um, in France, uh, people spoke regional languages until uh, free education, uh, until people got free primary school education, in which point you went in, you spoke standard French and you were given out to if you spoke your other language. There was no support given to the other language like Occitan or any of those other ones, Breton, whatever it is. So a lot of those languages died out. Like Occitan is not really spoken by anybody anymore uh, because there's no institutional support for it. It's either not in schools. Uh, the army was a big one in France as well. So World War One, everyone had to speak standard French in the army. So the function uh, you had to have a function in which you spoke your language. Otherwise, it dies out. It becomes kind of like dirty or kind of like not, you know, uh, professional or whatever it is. Uh, and I think by keeping Irish in the education system, we at least have one arm of that. It's it's official in some way and that it's viewed as important because I, I genuinely don't know where else it would be viewed as important. Where else does everybody go? Like everybody goes to school, more or less. You know, and everybody has to learn Irish. Uh, there's no other setting in which everybody has to go and has to learn that language. So I, I'm, yeah, it's 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 hard to imagine anywhere else where you would put the language and to take it away from schools. It's like, OK, well, what's your plan there? You know, well, I suppose nobody's saying take it away from schools, but some people are, and you know, a significant number of people, I suppose, would argue that it it's not helpful that students are made to feel like they have to do it, that it's an absolute obligation that it's being force fed and that if it was, you know, taught as a more fun subject, maybe. I don't know, PE and maybe other classes like that where it would be used naturally in those classes, that there are other ways to integrate it into the school system than making it a compulsory uh, leaving cert subject. Mm -hmm. I think we want to talk about compulsory subjects. Let's maybe talk about English and maths as well. I mean, why is it that Shakespeare is compulsory? Uh, do you know as in like why is Shakespeare compulsory and nothing in the Irish language is compulsory you know uh, why is leaving cert maths compulsory like to be very honest with you I haven't used the vectors I learned in leaving cert maths I did, I did honest haven't maths you? up until a bit no <laughs> you know I haven't used a, a, you know there's lots of things we learn or we're told to learn uh, that are compulsory subjects and I don't know why Irish is receiving that kind of ire uh, when English or maths isn't, when we don't use all those things every day or in our careers afterwards, you know? 
Okay, well, let's think about that then. Why do you think it is? Why do people respond in a different emotional way to the idea of having to learn Irish than other subjects? I think it's that it's viewed as not useful. There isn't an immediate use in your career for Irish. And I think we view education a lot of the time as training and as a way to be like, okay, well, what are you going to get a job out of this for? You know, I grew up during the recession. I did my Leaving Cert in 2011. I didn't do music in Leaving Cert. I should have done. Uh, but I didn't do it because I thought I wouldn't get a job afterwards. You know, there's loads of things that uh, we look at. And, uh, you know, you're seeing responses to this thing where it's like, oh, well, why don't people learn Bitcoin? Or why don't they learn coding instead of Irish? And it's like, well, yeah, we should have computer science on the curriculum. But why is it instead? Why, you know, I still think being able to communicate in a language that isn't your own is still an asset most people don't live in other countries afterwards they, they go to you know we see all the people going to australia or america or the uk or people stay in ireland you know so you know it, it, it's as useful as it would be french or any other language and to be fair i think a lot of people who say they speak french don't speak french to a great standard and will be kind of at sea when they leave uh school anyway so i you know but uh, is there not other things going on though with when people think and talk about Irish and the language and not being able to speak it or being able to speak it or being forced to speak it or, you know, all the kind of ways we talk about it is it because it's tied up with national identity. It's tied up with, you know, people learned English so they could emigrate, you know, in the last century. You know, is it seen as maybe the language of peasants for some time, you know, during that century there? I um, I think this layering of 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 issues, almost some of them kind of unspoken around around the language. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, I, I think, and not to draw attention to that guy in the clip, because I think he's had a lot of flack over the last few days, but people were talking about the fact that he's a student of history and then was happy enough, you know, well, maybe study the history of the Irish language and how we were, uh, you know, basically forced not to speak it, you know. Um, I think there's loads of stuff, there's loads of kind of hang ups or whatever on it, but I, I don't think we should just, you know, remove it from the education system because we've got hang ups of it that are, you know, not relevant anymore, you know. But was there also mistakes made, though, in the past because there was such a push for the language revival movement? And I'm, I mean, I just because of this uh, coming up this week, I started looking back at old archives of the language freedom movement back in the 60s, which was run by John B. Keane, who'd be our, our local writer down in the stole. And uh, like he was a passionate, uh, Gwailgore himself, like he could speak Irish. He was a big supporter of the language, but he felt that making it, say, at that time, as it was compulsory to have Irish to get a job in the civil service was made it exclusionary. And even now you could say the fact you still need to have passed Irish to get into an NUI college is, uh, you know, something that is questionable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's definitely the way it has been taught. I mean, it hasn't been taught like a modern language uh, in the same way that... So I, I learned Irish. The best way to teach uh, languages to children uh, or for someone to pick up a language is a mix of formal instruction and immersion. And that's 
you know, I, I did a lot of stuff on second language acquisition when I was in university. I did sociolinguistics. Uh, and when immigrant children come over to a school that doesn't have their target language, the best way to get them in and integrated is to have formal instruction in their own language and then immersion. Uh, and that's what the Gale took to set up like. They have similar programs, Quebec or whatever it is. We don't do that. What we've done uh, up until very recently, I can't really speak about the curriculum now because I haven't been in school in, in 10, 12 years. Um, but what we did was teach it like Latin almost where it was like here's some texts uh here's the grammar rules and all kind of stuff we're very strict on the written language and the way it's read but we're not actually going to focus on oral we're not going to focus on uh actually how it's used as a, a method of modern communication uh like when i did my leave insert 20 percent of my grade was oral irish and the rest of it was reading different things and i'm i'm all up for that i love literature and all that kind of stuff lots of people do not like that and are not into it so it's kind of it's very i can see how people would be resentful of that in that the only method you learn this language is through dusty old text or is through analysis of literary text when that's not what you actually like doing i think it's it is how it's been taught uh, I don't know what kind of changes have been made, but from my primary school teacher friends, they do say that when they're teaching Irish to kids, they enjoy it because they're using games and they're using things that mean that like, okay, you're using Irish, but you have a function to do it. You're doing something fun. And even I had some guy reply to me on, on Twitter being like, the only thing Irish has taught me is how to ask to go to the bathroom. But it's like, everyone knows that because you were forced to use it. As in, that was a community, it had a useful uh, function for you to learn that sentence and everyone now knows that sentence so how do we incorporate that principle into actually teaching the language given that that whole the idea that we all know we all understand how important immersion is is there a very good argument then for turning our primary school system into a, a grail school in a system I, I think there is absolutely and I know people think uh, that our brains have only capacity for one language sometimes or whatever but you go to other countries and they speak multiple languages nobody is not going to learn English anymore like that's done like we it is the basically lingua franca of the entire world almost like you have to learn English to succeed in business or international business or whatever most of our media is in English all that kind of stuff I don't see like, I know it sounds radical, but I don't see a real um, disadvantage to doing that. I think we're going to be fine. We're a, we're an English speaking country. So why let's 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 do it. You know, that's what I think. You, you, yeah, really, you think we, we, it's something we could actually could transform. I mean, it could actually potentially transform. Although there is a, I, I, and I asked this to Julian Despawn on Monday night from Conan O'Grailge. Like we have a huge network of Grail School and now obviously there's hundreds of them uh, up and down the country. And yet you still don't bump into that many people speaking Irish on the streets, you know, that, that it doesn't seem to have translated into a massive amount of fluency in the adult population, despite people doing everything through Irish for eight years of their chi- of their childhood. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's probably that thing of like you will always default to English because you assume everybody speaks English around you in the same way that like if you've ever worked with Lithuanian people or whatever, they will always default to English even if there's other Lithuanian people there as in like because it's the polite thing to do when, you know, you go to the language that everybody speaks. So I guess you wouldn't hear it out on the street or whatever but I, I there's a friend of mine who she's fluent in Irish and she will ring revenue in Irish because you get a shorter queue and <laughs> there's things like that so it's kind of like right we might encounter it but like Gale schools are still not as common as regular schools and most people are still monolingual English speakers so I guess you wouldn't encounter it as much you know um 
I should have been asking you upfront questions as we went along here. These are these just random questions to okay. start the talks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll do a couple now while while I while, while I think of it. Uh, give me a number between yeah. one and ten. Uh, six. Okay. If you didn't have the job you have now, what would be your dream gig? Oh God, uh, I'd probably still be working in tourism. I would say. Um, so that's where I worked before this all kicked off. Uh, I was doing a grad program and I think I'd probably stick at it because it's kind of like I do like the idea of putting the green jersey on and promoting all the wonderful things about this island, like our history and our culture and things like that. So that's probably what I would be doing. Uh, and if we were to go further back, I'd probably retrain as an architect, I would say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm stuck now. So. <laughs> um. What yeah, as a kid, what did you was that what you thought you you thought you'd be an architect when you grew up? No, I I always wanted to be a comedian or a performer in some way. I think just along the way, uh, like I mentioned before, I grew, I grew up during the two thousand and eight <laughs> crash. So I mean, it was that thing of like my worry was always I need to get a job. So I just thought I'd end up in business of some kind. And I watched too many episodes of The Apprentice, and that's kind of where I thought I would I would end up going. Uh, but thankfully I didn't um, but yeah I think when I was younger I watched loads of sketch shows and I watched loads of comedies and films and stuff like that and I was like yeah I want that you know and th- literally you got that just from telly there was nothing in the family background or uh, you know you, you had no mentor that pushed you in that direction no no and that, that makes me really grateful for things like social media because it's completely democratised that process I'm not related to anybody Um uh, and that used to be the way you got jobs in this country. So I mean, I'm kind of delighted that that that's you know that that's changed. I think, but no, no family background of anything like that. I'm probably the first one in media. So yeah. Uh, another number between one and ten. Two. Your go-to karaoke tune. Uh it is either "Small Town Boy" by Bronski Beat, or if. Yeah, if they, I, I can hit the notes. Uh, if they have it, I will do "Fight for This Love" by Cheryl Cole because it's incredible. It's the best pop song ever written, as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> seriously? Yeah, I think so. I think so. If you think about it. Okay, we'll have to pull it out and try and save a couple <laughs> of. Uh... <laughs> um, okay, just to go back to your background, actually, because I'm really uh, interested in. Because comedy is like, it's such a tough road. I mean, it is a tough, tough road. Um, and I'm sure at the start, it must, there must have been a little safety in the fact that you were doing the sketches yourself and you didn't have to sort of put yourself in front of big, big audiences. Like, was there a moment where you thought, oh, my God, this is actually could actually work. I, I can actually do this. This is taking off here. Yeah, I think very early on, uh, I'd done several of the radio sketches in a row. And I think Blind Boy had retweeted me or whatever. And Kevin Bridges, the comedian, had found them and thought they were very funny. And I was like, oh, this is uh, getting a lot more attention than I ever, ever thought it would. And, you know, I had maybe 480 followers at the start. And then suddenly I was on 15,000 or something. You know, after a couple of weeks, it was kind of like, oh, wow. OK, well, maybe I've hit on something here and I'm not so bad at this. So that's when that started. Um so I, I guess I just kept going in that vein. You just keep getting more and more praise from more people you admired. And then it's kind of like, OK, well, maybe maybe I can do this. I absolutely love your mammy character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, 
is just <laughs> superb. Uh, what are your inspirations for, for those characters? Uh, so that particular mammy is not my own mother. So my own mother is very different. Important to, woman. to say. Uh, Important to say. Uh, she's made sure that I say that uh, <laughs> at, every, at every opportunity. Uh, but it would be a mix of either her friends. So her name is Catherine. Uh, so it's basically an impression of the people I've heard speak to her uh, on the phone or, or in person or whatever people I've worked with. Uh, I did work in an office at one point where it was me and then uh, women of that age. So it was just I was like 22 at the time or whatever. So it was just like essentially just picking up everything and repeating it back in this case or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's just kind of women I've in, encountered or whatever. And then the this the. The music, the 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 indie band stuff, uh, sketches like just like genius. Are you just gonna keep? Please tell me you're just gonna keep keep doing those forever. I yeah, probably. I mean, it's kind of as soon as something big happens in the news, I get people tagging me, being like, "Right off you go," you know. <laughs> like sometimes you might have there might be two bits of dialogue in the thing, and you're like, "I can't make a." I think I can't make a whole song out of this. And then sometimes you do end up doing that. So I don't know. Um, I th- I've always wanted to play music. Uh, and I was doing that before I did the sketches. It's just that on my software, I realized I could have a conversation with myself. So I started doing that. Uh, but I kind of wanted to incorporate it more. And just for whatever reason, the indie band seemed to just click with people. Uh, so I kept doing it and I'm doing more of it now. I do songs live, but I do, it's not in reference to anything because you can't suddenly stop your gig and be like, has anyone seen this clip from the internet and then play it and then do the song, you know, cause that's ridiculous. So my songs are kind of sillier and about commuting or uh, about being anxious in the supermarket or whatever. So I'm going to keep doing music. Um, and yeah, probably, probably keep doing, uh, uh, topical things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your comedy is kind of it's it's gentle comedy, isn't it? I mean, you don't you're not you're not mean. You're not a mean person. I don't know what it is. I think uh, for me, I think you have to be laughing at a joke and not the imagined reaction of an enemy. I think that's the main thing with me. It's like, OK, what do you actually find funny? Is it what I said or the idea of someone you don't like hearing what I said? I think that's not as clever and not as fun. You know, I think it's. Uh, I'm always in awe of people who do child friendly shows and say the Edinburgh Fringe or like children's TV or whatever, because you have to be funny without using adult tropes like sex or things you can't talk about uh, around children or swearing or whatever. So I think that's a harder skill. Uh, so I prefer the abstract stuff, but also like I follow a lot of different people on Twitter. And the last thing I want is someone, one of my friends to open their phone one day and see that I've said something mean about them or to them, do you know, that kind of thing. So I'm very much like... Yeah, it's it's not about being cancelled. It's not about that sort of stuff. It's more about like who it's being considerate of other people, I suppose. Uh, but I always just think funnier comedy involves stuff that isn't um, punching down on anyone who is having a tough time as it is. Uh, give me one more upfront question before we move on. Uh, another uh, nine. number. Okay, one book you think everyone should read. Oh, I I don't read. <laughs> so I know it's I know I know I know. Um, basically. Uh, and this probably contradicts everything I've said already. I did languages at university. I had to read books through those languages. It was much harder to read everything. And so I've just become allergic to it. But also because of social media, I can't read anything longer than a tweet without getting bored. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't. I don't think I have um, 
I don't think I have a book. I'm trying to think of the last one I properly devoured, you know. Um, it's usually autobiographies and things like that. I do love a good celebrity autobiography. Uh, oh, actually, there's one I listen to over the fringe. So I do audiobooks now because I, I was just going to ask you to do the audio. Yeah. 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 I listen to Strong Female Character by Fern Brady. So it's an autobiography of the, the comedian Fern Brady, who I love. I think she's brilliant. I will watch her and anything and listen to anything she does uh but it's really about uh her life as an autistic woman and how uh kind of systems and structures didn't either recognize that she was autistic and just didn't support her so it's it's interesting how all of that affected her life but she was still able to become the success that she is and i yeah i really loved it i think she's she's really funny uh the book is quite sad in places but it's great um so yeah i would recommend that one on that then, who else do you admire? Like who who do you watch and follow and uh, mm. would you aspire to be? Um, in terms of like proper aspirational stuff, probably Sharon Horgan in terms of like she wrote Catastrophe with um, Rob. Oh, I can't remember her name. Um, but that, that, that was a great show. I really loved Catastrophe and she acted in it. I'd love to write something that I then act in. She is a voice actress. She was in Bojack Horseman, which is one of my favourite shows. Uh, and then she's just also in other good stuff like Bad Sisters and uh, This Way Up and their dramas and comedies and, you know, that kind of thing. So in terms of like an Irish example that's uh, kind, of, kind of far pie in the sky, it's definitely her, I would say. But you've done amazing things as well. You've had, you've had the most incredible array of brilliant things to do I mean you know as in like Jerry Girls like what that must have been yeah that's a big one yeah 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 and it's it's definitely I would say this generation's like Father Ted as well I think we're going to be talking about it for years time you know and it's the biggest one of the, I think either the biggest streaming hit on Channel 4 I can't remember what it is uh, but you know to see it I think when Series 3 came out on Netflix we'd people I'd seen people on a hashtag from like Uruguay and stuff like that being like I love Jerry Girls or my dad works a lot in Wisconsin and his colleagues watched Dairy Girls and knew what it was and he was able to say like oh my son's in that and they're like what um so it's a it's a big one and I had such a nice meaty role in it it wasn't just I wasn't just there for a second I was actually like a minor villain and I met all the cast and I met all the you know adults and kids and even because of filming as well I ended up on set the same day as Nicola Cochran and Siobhan McSweeney and so I'd met every single one of the main cast and it was just incredible so um, yeah, very weird and random that it came from the internet, uh, that opportunity, because Lisa McGee was just familiar with me. But uh, it's also how it got on. I was on Holding, which is Graham Norton's novel turned into a TV show, and that was directed by Kathy Burke. And she found me on social media and suggested to her cast name, we got that guy from, from Twitter, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. So <laughs> it just ended up on the show. Um, so it's great. And, you know, I've I've two series of a sketch show on BBC Sounds and I've another one coming and it's kind of I'm doing all the things I kind of wanted to do uh, without having a real kind of family background or anything else in in, in that which is cool I'm, I'm glad that that happened um, In terms of what's coming up then for you what's what's you've got you've not more sketches coming up on BBC Sounds more I sketches. do yeah I have a new series called uh, Lunchtime at Michael Fry. So it'll be like a linear type magazine show. But all of my guests are silly and it's just basically a sketch show. But we have a fictionalized version of myself uh, presenting the show. We have a musical guest every week. So there will be music uh, and all those other things. And it's written with Sean Burke and Eleanor Morton 
uh, and Kira Knight and Carl Kinsella, who are all kind of internet famous in their own different ways. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Um, so that's currently being written. It will be recorded around February, and then we'll see when it's released. I'm not actually sure, but um, yeah. So I have that. I have another TV project I can't talk about, and then I also have uh, Ooh, something stop, coming. Stop. Stop! <laughs> a TV some... project you can't talk about. I can't talk about. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not not um, for public consumption just yet. Yeah. Um, great, and then if you can't talk about have... it, that means it must be good. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. It's kind of just more like things are coming. I could be lying, you know, but it makes you sound uh, <laughs> exciting. Um, but I have something else on Radio Four as well coming uh, next. March I think maybe or this you know it's been recorded in March but it's uh we did a pilot of this thing called Parishes Burning um a couple of years ago and they picked it up so we're doing four episodes of that so um excited to be a voice actor on that so um yeah I'm busy but not in the live sense more oh I am actually doing live as well but like yeah that's in February I'm doing dates with Sean Burke and Eleanor Morton um in Dublin we we sold out Whelan's uh, we will have a date in Belfast and we also have a date in London in the Museum of Comedy on the 7th um, but yeah I, I we're kind of exploring live as a trio uh, it's going well so far so we'll see we'll probably we will do more I would say uh, in the near future and to bring us back to the start of the conversation have you performed mm. Oscar Elga have you done work in Irish do you see yeah so at the end, I did a campaign for Snubelga last year called uh, Credit Munit, which means I believe in you. And I did a full sketch in Irish. And it was a radio phone in uh, from ancient Ireland about um, the concept of Cúcullin becoming a man's dog, which would be insane if that happened today. So I mean, kind of more interrogating that. Um, I will do more. I kind of I have been asked to do uh, live comedy in Irish. I'm not quite there yet because a lot of my com- comedy is puns. And things like that. And that's very hard to translate. So it's kind of, I would love to do more of it. Okay, before we wrap, we do these quick fire mm. questions just to kind of get yeah. a little bit more. So it doesn't give you a chance to think about things and make up appropriate answers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stand by, finger, fingers on buzzers. Um, death row meal. Uh, spice bag with curry sauce. Uh, Favourite holiday. <laughs> Uh oh god. Um I I went to Lisbon recently with with my friend Eleanor Morton and we had a great time. We just had food. I asked yeah, followers to recommend good food places and that's what we did. So <laughs> Love Lisbon. Uh favorite uh Monopoly or Cluedo? Oh, uh Cluedo because there's an end. Your deepest fear? Uh, oh god, uh drowning. Would you beat me at cards? Probably not. I'm bad at cards. Uh, do you believe in God? Uh, no. I'm not sure. Not sure. Always good to leave the door open at that one, I feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you ever find yourself in the trenches. And that was Michael Fry. Thanks for listening to Upfront the Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can message us on social media at RTE Upfront or via WhatsApp. Our WhatsApp number is 087-677-1000. And don't forget to tune in to Upfront on Monday evening at 10.35 on RTE One and on the RTE Player. And I will speak to you then.